0: Hey everybody, Jeff here, one half of the Ted Bros. Before we get into this episode, the first episode of our rewatch from the beginning of the series, I just wanted to let you know that at the time of hearing this, you should be able to go into your podcast app and search for Ted Bros. and you'll be able to find this podcast's own dedicated feed, so that way you won't get all the Comic Place episodes in the middle of them as well, if you're just trying to listen to those good, good Ted Bros. So, Get in there, search for Ted Bros, bail out of this one if you want, listen to it over on the other one. That way it'll make it easier for people who haven't heard the podcast to find it in their search results. Also, it would be a huge help if you wanted to give us uh, a review or a rating. You should just be able to kind of scroll down in your podcast app, toss as many stars on there as you want, or a written review, but that would be a big help for us to get to see other people listening to this. Uh, We really appreciate all of you. We hope that you dig the journey forward as much as we are, and we look forward to seeing you next week as well. Enjoy the episode. Um... As far as I know, peanut butter is good for the vocal cords, so and as sure. it's like a, a post-Halloween show, I feel like everyone's going to be ramping up those uh, peanut butter vocal cords today.
1: Is it, does chocolate contribute as well, or is that a det- detractor? Actually, I
0: think that's antithetical to peanut butter, yeah. I think any uh, strictly dairy-based products, make uh, mucus production. So you're going to be feeling that one in about 15 minutes, Will.
1: Yeah, I mean there's just nothing like having peanut butter just filled up in your mouth where oh, you just can't yeah. form words
0: properly and mm. the peanut butter gob. Hey to Ted Lasbro season one episode one feels like the very first time we've done this will however it's not and that's a little secret thing we'll get into in a second here but welcome in two buddies one last bro season one episode one how you doing Will?
1: I'm doing super fantastic, Jeffrey. I swear we've done this at least seven times before, I, but you said season one, episode one, and yet now I believe it.
0: I'm getting a little bit of a weird deja vu. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like we've done this. What we're alluding to is that this might be the first time a lot of you are listening to this. However, this is a podcast that we started midway through season two of Ted Lasso. Uh, it's a it's a fan cast about Ted Lasso, where we sort of examine ourselves through examining Ted Lasso. but. We did uh, the final six episodes of season two. You can find those in this podcast feed, but we also wanted to sort of uh, rearrange it and start from the very beginning so we could catch some new listeners. And we also had requests from folks to make sure we went back to the beginning of the series. So that's what we're doing. And if you don't care about spoilers or if you, like us, have already seen the entire series, jump ahead to those later episodes in your feed.
1: Yeah, I think that you can go back. if you. Our first episode we recorded is... Season 2, Episode 7, Headspace, and in the first 20 or 30 minutes of that, I think, Jeff, you and I kind of get into a little bit of who we are and why we love Ted Lasso as a show, why we decided we wanted to do this podcast. I think if you really wanted to dive into that further, you can go back and listen to the first 20 minutes of that, pretty spoiler-free, hear a little bit more about us, but maybe we can do a quick... I think so you know, a a quick introduction of who we are and and save it so anybody who wants to go and listen to that, they can dive a little bit deeper. So Jeff, who are you and why are we doing this? Well,
0: hey, I'm Jeff. I, uh, I work at a comic book store and I have for about a decade now. And that means that my life is sort of centered around taking in art and talking about it with other people. And I really love doing that. And if you have listened to the earlier episode of this podcast, you might know that it was coming out in a podcast feed for a different podcast. I do centered around comics. But um, because of my line of work, I've had the the wonderful blessing of being able to meet a lot of wonderful people who have varying tastes in different things. And many years before, well, I guess a couple of y- I guess I started started working with you around the same time I started at the comic shop, actually. But around that time, I met Will and realized we had a pretty strong overlap in the type of art that we liked and also the ways that we like to kind of get in there and pick it apart and didn't take super long for Will to eventually come into the comic shop where I work. And I guess we've just kind of been looking for an excuse to be able to gather around a table and pick apart things that mean a lot to us. And uh, Ted Lasso seemed like the perfect thing to do that with, especially because Will was the person that urged me to start watching Ted Lasso. And I have this compulsive desire to, record podcasts because out in the normal world uh, I'm much more timid about talking too much or oversharing my opinions but in a podcast I just get to talk to my friends and not worry about um, you know making sure everyone's heard because I think we're pretty good about being heard here
1: yeah, I, I have a, a strong desire to record a podcast, but it's always just been me like talking to myself while working on my computer or driving <laughs> in the car. So now it's a much more healthy avenue for us to be able to process through this. And I'm Will. Yeah, Jeff and I met just about ten years ago, a little bit less than ten years ago. I work. I work for a uh, you know a national QSR a quick service restaurant retail chain where I work in. Uh, Uh, I've worked in a leadership role for, you know, basically 20 years now. So obviously I met Jeff about 10 years ago and I was in that leadership role at the time, but we shared a strong bond almost immediately over our love of the show community. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of feeling like that was a TV show that was, that was made for us that had a lot of, you know, references and humor that really spoke directly to us. And, you know, we, we had a connection then and yeah, it was a couple of years later after Jeff stopped working um, you know, in one of the stores I was overseeing and ran into each other at the Comics Place and Jeff was the reason that I kept coming back to the Comics Place and we've just, you know, our friendship has grown since then and um, you know, after watching Ted Lasso for the first time Jeff was immediately, Jeff you were the first person that came to mind who was like, somebody else is going to love this show as much as I did, it's absolutely Jeff I need to figure out how to get him to watch it and asked you to watch it and then wait a week and asked you to watch <laughs> it again and waited a week and asked you to watch it again and then um, you finally got on board and i think we've been in love with the show ever since and been trying to find a, a, an excuse to just talk about it so here every, we are
0: every episode in season two because will would be much more proactive about like thursday night o'clock or nine o'clock you would watch it with with your partner um and i was usually like a a friday or saturday but as soon as i would watch it i would text you for all of season two and it was finally like halfway through season two we're like we should probably just do this podcast right so we started it halfway through felt like a thing that needed to be much more complete than that because we're both comic book fans which means we're relatively anal with tendencies towards ocd and you know completionist collecting styles so needed to start at the beginning of this gosh that there's a good segue there about pilots and first seasons of television shows, but let's do that after we kind of get into our first sort of, hey, Ted Lasso, season one, what is this thing?
1: Season one, episode one, pilot. I thought it was interesting that they still use just the word pilot. Like, norm- episodes all have names. So for this to just be named pilot to be as professional and as polished as it is compared to a lot of other pilots, Yeah, I thought that was interesting. American football coach Ted Lasso is hired by a wealthy divorcee to coach the English soccer team, AFC Richmond.
0: That's the beautiful summary. Actually, I'm going to get out of the way real quickly here. Because we're recording this after having seen season two of this show, we're going to do our absolute best for the bulk of the conversation in these episodes to be approaching it from the vantage point of having not seen season two. So we're going to try and avoid spoilers We're doing that so that anybody who's watching this show along with us can feel like they're in the car with us seeing things for the first time and then we'll make it very clear in the episode when we switch back to our back from the future segment where we will be looking at the show from the lens of how it relates to the later episodes the later characters. Um, So if you're starting this and you're wondering or worried about spoilers feel safe in our arms as we hold you spoiler free until we make it very clear that there will be spoilers so that.
1: Yeah. And then, and typically also we would check in with emails, Mm -hmm. uh, before we start the main discussion of the show, we'd like to check in with emails at the beginning of the episode and towards the end of the episode. So if you have an email that you want to write in about previous episode that we've recorded and discussed, we'd love to talk about that right up front and have a discussion to any follow-ups, any extra observations anybody has that they want to share about last week's episode, since we, this is the first episode, We don't have any of those. We do, however, have an email from our friend Brian Garside from our previous discussion on our season two recap. So we're going to actually save that to the end of this email in that spoiler section um, that uh, Jeff just mentioned.
0: Heck yes. So bullet points from the first episode, season one, episode one, Ted Lasso.
1: I guess I wanted to start with the question just in general of, you know, pilot episodes and what you think that they should try to accomplish and what you think this episode accomplished. And I think we can have this conversation and we can finish it towards the end as well. You know, we start the introduction to the episode with Rebecca and we'll save that for a second and really focus on Ted. Cause he's the, he's the you know main character in the show and the main character in this episode. When you first watch this, I wanted to see if you can go all the way back to the very first time you watched the episode. What were your initial thoughts on the character of Ted Lasso? First episode, right out the gate. What did you think about Ted as a character and where the show was going?
0: Well, that and that's kind of the segue I was thinking about just moments ago, which is kind of pilot episodes and first seasons of television in general. And so I actually had watched a podcast that I listened to that covers comic books and other things. All three of them loved Ted Lasso. And anytime the three of them love a thing, it's pretty much guaranteed that I will like it. So I did watch the first episode of Ted Lasso And it didn't feel remarkable to me the first time that I watched it. And in thinking about that, you know, some of my other favorite network television shows would be uh, Community, The Office, and Parks and Recreation. And the thing that all three of those shows have in common is that starting at the first season and the first episode, I didn't really have any interest in continuing the shows. And it wasn't until kind of jumping into season two of all of those shows at various times in my life, Um, that I then fell in love with it and moved forward and then kind of retroactively finished season one. That's kind of a thing that's been with me a lot of my life, going back to, like, loving Buffy the Vampire Slayer in junior high. And I would say that the first episode of this show, the first episode doesn't necessarily buck that trend for me. I watched the first episode and I thought, that's charming. Um, I like this guy and I kind of like this setup. It, It definitely... In since that time, and when I've been urging people to watch it, I'd like tell them you got to get like a four episode commitment. If you want to stop after four episodes, go for it. However, I bet that at episode four, you're going to stay up later than you meant to and get up to episode seven or eight. And that's absolutely true. So my feelings on this, like right out of the gate were like, that's good. And then I, you know, just kind of took a break from it. And I was like, I'll probably go back to that one day. But then when Will was like, you got to watch this, you got to watch this. That was when I was like, okay I'm going to start back over. So. And looking at this episode with a much more detailed view and having seen it from this kind of two season perspective, looking back, there's a lot more depth and foreshadowing to the tone of it as a whole. But at, at the get go, it does it can feel like, okay, here's just a kind of fish out of water comedy story. There is a lot of heart and humor built into it, but I do think it takes a little bit just a couple episodes to really find its footing or at least for me as a watcher to feel like I want to go where it's going. And I do think that, like you said, there this is more polished than a lot of pilot episodes. And it does have its direction clearly uh, formulated in its initial episode. But I do think that it was, a you know, it, it took me a little bit of deciding I was going to go with it. Um, was my my read on the first episode. I was sort of remembering that when I was watching it today for the third or fourth time. So.
1: Yeah. I'm on, I think I'm on the same page. I, 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 I'm at the point though in my, in my media consumption where I know that it's going to always take two or three episodes mm-hmm. before getting completely into the show. I mean, I had, you know, three or four failed attempts to watch the wire, uh, you know, before I really learned that lesson and finally made, made it past that hump. Uh, but that's, that's pretty standard, right? You just, you need time to to get to know who these characters are and, uh, learn a little bit more about them before you can care about them at all right it's hard to care about any character when you don't know anything about it at all I think this episode is really interesting in itself because it's kind of it does a lot of incredible things looking back on it. and I won't get into spoilers on that at all but it has to accomplish you know a couple of number of things it has to introduce you to characters um you know introduce you to what the conflict of the story is going to be and try and give as many people a little bit of screen time. So that at least plants the seed of who these people are. The first time we watch this, we don't, we don't know who any of the soccer players are that we see. So there's no context to the first time we see any of those guys and every single person was first time we see them on screen, you know, we're learning and we're absorbing as much information about them the first time we go. So with that being said, this episode is kind of a bit, it's a bit formulaic. It's a bit tropey. And that is what the rest of the season kind of works really hard to buck that trend. So it's interesting to come in with so many tropes, so many caricatures, and every single person kind of shows you just little pieces of their, 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 their trope or who they are, um, and then as the season goes, you learn more about them and they're much, much deeper than everything that they're first represented as uh, on the screen. And that's encapsulated the most by, by Ted And upon rewatch, you see a lot more things that you learn later really planted that kind of fly right over your head the first time you first time you watch it. But we meet Ted and he's just, you know, he's just a likable guy with, you know, the kind of Midwestern Southern Kansas City accent. And he's got lots of quips and he's got lots of jokes and seems a bit in over his head. Uh, So you obviously you like him a lot and they do a good job of making you be like, you know, kind of afraid of of Rebecca. Um, But I think they do a fantastic job bringing Ted into it. And um, I, I had the same, the same impression, though, the first time watching. It was just kind of like, that was fine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, I listened to a, um, a bunch of different podcasts as well. One that I listened to a lot, it's actually a basketball podcast called No Dunks. And those guys all talked about how they shot the, thought the show was perfect and an incredible show. Everybody should watch it. And that's ultimately what pushed me over the edge is I heard a lot of great positive things. But to hear these four different guys who always have differing tastes to all say this show is perfect was enough to convince me to watch it. And then you watch the first episode and you're like, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what the rest of this what the rest of this looks like. It doesn't immediately win you over right out the gate by any means, but it doesn't do anything to to scare you away. So I think it in that note it accomplishes exactly what it needs to accomplish as a pilot episode.
0: I totally agree. And I think that we can all say, especially as the date of recording for this is November first, twenty twenty one. Um, We can say that the national public is fond of this show, considering that last night, the overwhelming Halloween costume of 2021 was the cast of Ted Lasso. Like, everywhere.
1: Myself included.
0: Comics play, or comics things, sports things, like, everything. Like, all Twitter. I was just like, oh, everybody, like, is, it was... It was pretty awesome. I'm glad that this show, because I'm also still kind of like, does everyone know about this show or does nobody know about this show? Like I was, lots of people I meet that have not watched it. Um, so it's it's interesting. And then there's also this like kind of, I think, yeah, people who engage in a lot of media have, have definitely seen it. But anyway, if you're listening to this show, you love it as much as us, so.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to talk just a little bit more about, you know, any big takeaways from, you know, Ted's journey in this episode. You know, it's very much presented in this like fish out of water, you know, an American football coach going to England. So let's make a lot of jokes about the differences between the cultures. And, you know, we know he's, you know, or we learned very quickly that he's kind of being set up to fail, but he might even be smart enough to know that at least to a certain degree, you know, he certainly goes into the press conference with his, his eyes wide open, um, but we definitely see kind of a culmination. Ted is. Clearly, you know, on the airplane, talking to Coach Beard and, you know, getting into England, clearly is carrying himself with just a positive, upbeat attitude. We saw clips of him dancing with his uh, football team. We we get a sense pretty quickly of who he is, but then that gets put to the test very quickly at the press conference. Um, I'm curious what your immediate takeaway of, you know, the, the press conference scene that kind of culminated yep. as if like Ted was maybe on the verge of like a meltdown or a panic attack right before he spit water everywhere and Rebecca kind of jumps in and, and saves the day um, what was your what were your thoughts watching that scene because that seemed to be a pretty critical moment of the episode
0: yeah absolutely it's a pretty critical moment of the episode that didn't on the surface feel like a critical moment of the episode the first one or two times you watch it even several episodes into the first season you know that it's just it's a thing that you could go, you could blow past, right? Like, Oh God, this is very stressful. It it resonates is in two different ways, but particularly, um, you know, as, as your first time with the, uh, with the show, it resonates just like, well, wow, he's really positive, but also this is a very overwhelming situation. So, um, I think it presents as, okay, this isn't going to just be this easy, easy, funny, enjoyable thing. Um, But leading up to that scene, you know, the airplane meeting everybody, what I like so much is is like you said, you know, there's these like, oh, fish out of water. I'm an American in Europe and that's a component. And then you get that right on the surface. And then the other component you get is that, wow, this guy is really positive. And what I really liked in this episode that stays true for the whole series and, and moves through it is that he is so positive, except for he does have these things with the cultural differences between the countries where he lets himself be very critical and negative. And I, I think that that works really, really well. And it's not like I think in a many things you'd be like, oh, he's just like, do you like tea? No, nah, I don't like tea, but I'm going to keep trying to drink it for you guys. And I just love that he's just like, nope, that is terrible. I'm not going to engage. Like, I love that so many things about the show are trying to healthily understand other people's points of view and grow together. And this is just like, nope, there's a closed door on some of these things. Sparkling water, tea. And I really like that they they leave this room for just like very stern negativity in it. Uh, uh, Very, very clever to me.
1: He he doesn't, he doesn't, he says it all with a smile on his face, right? Right. So you don't necessarily feel the bite of criticism um, when he calls tea, you know, what is it like, you know, hot brown garbage Mm -hmm. water or whatever it is that he calls it. Um... He has a smile on his face so it kind of just rolls off your back and you know but you're right i guess he, he does try these things at least yeah but like he's gone he's a you know 40 something year old man who's never tried tea before his entire life and um you know just can't even stand the even the slightest bit of sensation of having sparkling water or bubbly water yeah on his tongue that he has to spit it out if that's pretty pretty funny kind of a pretty sheltered Midwestern type of uh, personality where like he knows what he likes and that's it. He's at least come to this other country to try other things out, but he's still pretty stuck in like, this is the things that I like in my life and that's it. And I don't want anything the,
0: else to this, you know, to the particular uh, interview scene that goes on, that sparkling water is very critical because he takes that drink and he spits it and it, it, um, there's an escalation of the stress and overwhelming nature of that scene And had he not swallowed that water and then had Rebecca step in, it would have been interesting to see what it escalated to because there was clearly panic building and then it was derailed and intervened by Rebecca. So, um, you know, some foreshadowing or some awareness of needing to break that moment up, I thought was really well done.
1: Absolutely. I think that the last thing I'll say about this is just that um, Trent Krem kind of neatly inserted there. And I think we'll see him, a bit more and seems to play, you know, a pretty central role in a lot of different things that happen with with Ted throughout this season and and beyond. Uh, Trent Cram I think, has maybe grown to be one of my favorite characters. And oh yeah. You just you just get a tiny bit of him here and uh, slowly builds on. It. So I'm excited to see more. the The one other thing about Ted's journey before maybe we move on is just that what's uh, something that really jumped out to me watching this episode. Is despite all of Ted's positivity and then maybe his positive negativity, was also just a little bit that was just a soft touch on, but him and what may or may not be happening with his family. He seems to, you know, he spends some time looking at his phone and on the airplane. He doesn't go to sleep because he's got a lot on his mind and, you know, looks at the picture of his wife and his son. And then at the end of the episode, um you know while we see throughout the episode that he keeps you know constantly falling asleep but he didn't sleep on the plane um and then kept falling asleep throughout the day and then at the end of the episode at the end of the night he has a call with his family and you know only gets to talk to his son for kind of a brief moment he's a bit mixed up on what time it is and things like that and then seems to have maybe not the greatest conversation with his wife that kind of ends the episode, maybe a little bit on a on a down note. And Ted finds himself being unable to sleep after having kind of a, you know, I guess an awkward phone call with his, with his wife. And he talks about giving her some space and things like that. So what was your takeaways on that?
0: Yeah, that was hard to see. And in this show, anytime Ted is having a rough time, it is hard to see because he's such the embodiment of positivity. And he's just this kind of this person you want to be all the time. Like, gosh, if I could just be a little bit more Ted- but then to see that, like, everyone is complex beneath the surface um, was really, really interesting. I thought everything about that final scene on the phone really kind of bucks your expectations for what this show is going to be. And, and I think the mystery of what is going wrong or, the, you know, his his relationship issues, like clearly there's something going on there. I think that's a really important undercurrent for this whole series. It And it's, yeah, it's just a bummer to see him experiencing something that seems less than positive. But I think that, uh yeah, there's, there's, you know, some quotes that go around or every, you know, couple of months while I'm scrolling through Reddit, there's like the life pro tip where it's like, you know, that person that's always making sure everyone's doing all right and is a great listener, make sure and listen to them sometimes, you know, it's this idea of you know what is below the surface is is very very important and not always what you would expect and people that seem to have it all together maybe they have it all together because they or seem like they have it all together because they've been dealing with some hardship for a long time so you know that phone call makes me very interested in what's going on uh, between he and his wife and his son so it's you know it's heartbreaking on one level to see somebody struggle but I, I do think that they did it well, um, especially the musical stuff that happens there, which we'll talk about in a second.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that it answers some questions that you may have lingering in your head going to it, because you see Ted in the beginning of the episode looking at the picture of his family. And then I think, I know I asked myself while watching it, is why would anybody take a job you know, that is gonna take them onto the other side of the world for a very long stretch of time you know, away from their family? And there could be tons of reasons for that. Um, and it may just be, hey, this was a really good opportunity that was too hard to pass up. So let's see where it goes. But I think by the end of the episode and that phone call, you at least get a little bit of information that, you know, there's there's definitely something going on. And so is he, did he take this job to, to get away, to escape, to, you know, or, or what? what's going on, you know, with the relationship with him and his wife? So I thought it did a really perfect job of kind of giving us some of that information without you know, necessarily jamming it down our throats or anything like that.
0: And he says, you know, like he he says on the half of the phone call that we hear, that, like, yeah, I'm trying to give you space, which is really interesting to me because that conversation about space within a relationship is something that comes up at other points in the series. Um, so that was an interesting little bit. And then he says, I love you. And then there's a stumbling in the conversation. And he, and he says something to the effect of like, no, you don't have to say it. Or something, and that like that's really interesting and very poignantly painful to somebody in a relationship. I would think.
1: Yeah, it pulls on our heartstrings just right. And on that note, Jeff, I'm wondering if you can maybe pull on my musical heartstrings. Yes. <laughs> and tell me a, a little bit more about the music. And for you guys that don't know, Jeff is quite the music aficionado. And I like it. I uh, I'm not. I'm not great with it. So I'm I'm excited and interested to hear what you heard in this episode, what you thought about what you heard in this episode. Well,
0: I hardly am an expert and I have huge holes in my musical knowledge, but what I do really love is the way that music and society interacts. And I'm particularly interested in uh, social culture at any given time and how it gives way to cr- helping create a context for music to thrive and succeed going back to the 50s 60s 70s Um, and then i'm also very interested in the way that art uses music because it's such a, a metaphor that can be explored and oftentimes it's just used as background noise or a great kind of emotional uh synchronicity between a scene but i think that as we've talked about in other episodes of this show and as i've watched it i think that this show uses music in a really, really intelligent way. Um, Will, you brought it up. This show, written primarily by Jason Sudeikis, but uh, in collaboration with Bill Lawrence, who did Scrubs, and you brought up that, I forget Bill Lawrence's wife's name.
1: Krista Miller.
0: Krista Miller, she had been kind of in charge of the music that was used on Scrubs. And I do think Scrubs is another phenomenal instance of the way that art and music can interact to really elevate a scene. Um, I don't know that this this show has entirely found its footing using that yet in the first pilot. I do think it's interesting that they start with God Save the Queen, um, which seems on the surface like a pretty logical thing to do because it's the sex pistols and we're in Europe and, you know, without digging deep too deeply in, if you tell an American something about you know, British music or whatever, I think one of the first handful of bands you'll think of will be the Sex Pistols. So God Save the Queen, good there. But that's a band that also comes back up and used other times in the series. What I thought was particularly interesting with the music in this episode is the way that there is a very jovial show being presented to us, but there are really uh, poignant instances of musical beauty with, I think, particularly the piano um, throughout the entire score of this show. Uh, and I need to look up the person's name because I, I didn't know it and I forget it. But there is um, outside of uh, the the brother or the the Mumford man that does the theme song. There's a person who works on the score for the series. But I think the best indicator that this show has a really tender heart at the center of it is the musical cues that we get from the piano throughout it. Like we'll get these moments that um, to me are frankly like really profound, uh, sad, melancholic piano melodies presented. So especially when he's on the phone with his wife, like that's the best cue that this is not just an easy breezy phone call he's having with his wife. It um, you know, if if those piano cues weren't there, it would be a little bit more confusing, I think so. That's the thing that really stood out to me in this episode was just right off the bat, I think we are able to recognize that this show is going to have a very tender heart within it. Um, and, I, you know, I think that that's in part due to the piano stuff.
1: We also got some beatboxing.
0: Yeah, we did. We and ended with Bismarck Key there, which Biz is Marquee. awesome. Yeah, I do uh, love that line peace. for for Keely. She, she's like, well, I never really know how to respond when a grown man beatboxes in front of me. And it's like, that's a great line because it also makes me very uncomfortable.
1: Now, a lot of times in the in, in future episodes, the song that plays as the outro song going out, um, you know, has a lot of significance in yeah. the story of the character. I wasn't sure about the Bismarcky song. I was just curious if you got anything extra out of that other than just being a nod to um, Ted Lasso's, you know, Bismarcky reference earlier in the episode.
0: I forget what the lyric is, but if you go, yeah, a little bit into the credits of that, there was a lyric that stood out to me that I'm not thinking about right now, but... Um... Yeah, I would have to relook at that one. But yeah, my thought was, I don't know this song. Is this like a song about a core tenant of this episode? And I forget what it was. I was this morning. I was like, oh, that could be about it. Um, but also, is it just a reference to the beatbox thing? So that's a, I should have investigated that one a little bit more.
1: Well, that's all my. I thought it was. So I think we're good enough to just call it a, a reference earlier in the episode.
0: Yeah, there's got to be more than that. I always, I always have to believe that there's more than that.
1: So we begin the episode, you know, we begin the episode with the, you know, God save the queen and the soccer team playing and it kind of quickly fiddle. uh, um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, it quickly record screech kind of ends and we get to Rebecca uh, in the office and we meet Rebecca and Higgins for the first time. And then Mm -hmm. we also meet the soon to be former coach, George, who we? I forgot that we see him later right. in, in the show. So right. it's it's wonderful to just point out, hey, here he is right now. You'll see him again later. And uh, his testicles. no, Yeah, his testicles. His, that are named after... <laughs> the uh, Oasis brothers. Oasis brothers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my first impressions of Rebecca and Higgins, you know, Higgins seems to be very much a, a yes man without a spine. Yeah, wormy is how I described
0: him in my notes.
1: And Rebecca, she's just... Impressive and strong as hell, like right from the get-go. Um, uh, you know, we almost start the season with a shot of her face. It's the soccer team and then a shot of her face. And I believe we actually uh, you know, we end the season with a shot of her face. I don't think that's a spoiler. So I thought it was interesting to have that that parallel going back and seeing it. She is just strong, confident, impressive. Um, you know, she's she's carries herself well in every conversation. She's just a very, very impressive woman. And, you know, we see that she's not afraid to be a bit cutthroat, but then cool. we also get a lot more information, you know, pretty quickly in the episode about her being ex-husband and her dealing with all of the kind of casual misogyny from the current coach and just everyone around. We learn that Higgins was keeping the, her ex-husband's affair secret so he was participating so she's not afraid to kind of torture Higgins a bit while also offering him extra money to stick around and help basically ruin the soccer club um what were your what was your initial impression of Rebecca and maybe just what we learned about her saw her about her in this episode
0: yeah I mean I guess we didn't mention that but in this first episode we do get it you know her motives are are made clear, which is that she's basically trying to torpedo this soccer club because her ex-husband she hates and he loved this soccer club. So that's, you know, the why Ted Lasso is here. Without at this point going too far into what we know about Rebecca and her character arc, I thought that they laid a really interesting relationship dynamic between her and Higgins. We basically have this woman in power and this sort of un- Unenthusi- well, he's not definitely doesn't want to be an accomplice to her, but she he also knows that he's got this indebted sense of I've wronged this person and this is my financial livelihood and for my family. So he's kind of has to be in bed in this doing a thing that he doesn't want to do because he's clearly a very good person. Like right off the bat, she's like near the end of the episode. She says something to the effect of. You know, there's going to be times where this is going to be hard and you have to do things you don't want to do. And in those times, just think about all of the women that you hid from me for, you know, my ex-husband's affairs. And it really uh, is an interesting usage of guilt and manipulation to be getting somebody to to play along. So I think that they did a lot of great groundwork to make his motivations seem realistic in that he's a good person that feels obligated to do this. And I think Rebecca's motivations make a lot of sense as well. And it's off putting at first. Cause you're like, dang, she is cold.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree with that sentiment. Like Higgins is kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place right. where he's got a family to take care of. He's offered a big promotion and a pay raise he feels guilty. Uh, we see the very first time, uh, which is a reoccurring trait of Higgins, where he feels like his, all the food he's eaten yeah. is stuck right, you know, halfway down his throat, and kind of has these dry heaves uh, through, <laughs> throughout. We uh, see it a little bit in this episode, yeah. but basically, every time he's kind of feeling guilty or like he's got something stuck in him that he just needs to get out, he kind of.
0: I'm the same uh, way, Higgins. Acid reflux is an adult problem. I'm not happy to be struggling with
1: you know, I kind of you feel bad for, for Higgins, but you also, at the same time, you know, kind of learning a little bit about, you know, why he feels guilty about everything. Um, maybe you don't feel too bad for him and he is, you know, kind of a bit spineless.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so he's, he's easy to be manipulated and doesn't really stand up for himself or, or anything else. I mean, he's offered a, up to take home a painting that's worth well over a million pounds and, his first reaction is just like, oh, that's that's worth a whole lot of money. And she's like, Yeah, you're right, never mind. I'll just sell it instead. <laughs> we'll put it off to auction. And he's, you know, kind of slumped over and, and feeling defeated after that. But um, you know, is a little bit of sadness, a little bit of tragedy for Rebecca, but I think um her strength and everything else that she exudes overall is pretty, pretty consistent to a degree um with her character and for for a pilot to not really have any sort of hiccups in, in what we would see out of somebody and I I thought she was great. With all of that being said, I think it's good to point out maybe the elephant in the room. At least in my book, I don't I don't believe Jeff that you've seen the movie Major League.
0: Right, I have not. Or
1: any of its subsequent sequels, uh, Major League Two and Major League Three: Back to the Miners. Um, Major League One and Two are you know baseball comedy movies, and it's. Shares a very, very similar plot, especially to the kind of introduction of the pilot of this episode. And it's before I ever even watched the first episode, just the trailer of it, I was like, oh, this looks like it's just major league, but for soccer. Um, and so, understanding that movie, there is a, a female, a strong female owner of the Cleveland Indians uh, baseball team. And she wants to, she's dead set on tanking the team so that. Um, she will be able to move the team to a more viable market. So she's kind of just doing everything she can to sabotage the team, bringing in, you know, low tier or, you know, old washed up um, baseball players and, you know, low tier and kind of spending as little money on the team and the equipment and doing everything she can all along the way to sabotage the team so that the team fails. And despite all of that, you know, the leaders of the team are able to rally um and you know fight back against this and and kind of you know buck what the i don't know what the antagonist of the story is trying to accomplish so this show shares a heck of a lot of similarities as in the introduction and throughout maybe the first season or the concept behind it i thought that's a pretty interesting reference um leading into a show that ends up as we see further along, we see a lot of references to movies Hmm. and pop culture, TV shows, everything else. Did you catch anything else in this episode in our little uh, reference roundup section here, Jeff?
0: I did, yeah. Um, And I know you made a note of this as well, so let's, let's get into this. As we go through this show, I think an amazing thing that they do is every time somebody is reading a book, it fits in metaphorically Um, or clearly into what's going on in the episode or the arc of the person as a whole. I love that touch to this show. Um, Offhand, we do see uh, Beard, the assistant coach Beard, reading Inverting the Pyramid, which I thought was awesome because we see that come up later in the show. But I'm sure we both noticed that the book that Ted is reading on the airplane as they're flying over is The Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac from 1958, which is pretty fascinating i'm not sure if you looked into that or have read that i have not read it or any jack kerouac frankly
1: i've not read the book i did look it up though to learn a bit more about it i saw there was a sequel to on the road
0: yeah which is kind of a definitive yeah
1: yeah as most his best known work um but i did see that it's a tale of two friends exploring nature and buddhism in search of truth and enlightenment Um, and their major adventure is kind of the pursuit of the Zen way, uh, along the way of this tale, which I thought paralleled really well with Ted and Beard kind of going on this spiritual journey, but also just maybe their long-term goals of what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, what does a, what does a guy do taking a job as a football coach, uh, knowing nothing about the sport of, uh, of football or soccer? Um, other than he kind of knows what he's looking for and he's going on this journey to kind of buck everything in his life and go on this spiritual journey and see where where it takes him and his friend, Coach Beard. What were your thoughts or takeaways on that?
0: Well, I, I really liked the idea. and I liked learning about it. I've been really into Bob Dylan lately. So Jack Kerouac is somebody who's been coming up in a lot of sort of like the readings and you know, he and Allen Ginsberg citing a lot of what was going on within the culture at the time but uh yeah just this idea of in that one they were sort of pursuing buddhism or a sense of enlightenment and while i don't feel like um ted and beard are actively pursuing that it feels like an amount that is within them already but i, I think more than anything just the thing that stood out to me was the idea of dharma and the idea of kind of going along with and finding your place and not fighting it um you know i found a kind of poor man's description of what Dharma is. And I didn't actually save that picture. But yeah, that idea of (laughs) I I saved some (laughs) other things about the book here. But this idea of, you know, not necessarily fighting with where your path is taking you and allowing yourself to, to go with it. And I think that Ted right here in this situation, he is this is his Dharma. There's a big part of his journey that he's going on. And I think that a lot of the things that he's going to encounter with his personal life are going to be aided by the lessons that he learns um, in this portion of his journey. So I liked that. It didn't feel like there was this overt like, hey, this means this. But just this idea of two people kind of throwing themselves into the oceans of the world and allowing themselves to be tossed and turned and and come out on the other side uh, is, is pretty 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 cool idea, and I do think there's a lot of truth with just sort of who Ted and Beard are, their willingness, and in fact, that is you know what I in this episode and this show in general, a thing that I love so much about it, and just kind of like a thesis of this episode to me, and and why this show can speak speak to me is, I'm somebody who oftentimes is afraid to try brand new things I, my entire life when i was a kid like i would like to try things or do things but i wanted to practice them alone first i didn't want to be in the public eye while i was figuring something out i didn't want to bring it to the public eye until i felt like i was proficient in it in some regard and such a theme of this entire show and particularly this first season is this idea of you know he's going with his dharma here is he's, he's not afraid to do this thing that is, he doesn't know how to do. He like he it, it's quite on the surface. He doesn't know how to do this. He's totally ignorant of it, but he's taking this opportunity to go do it. And I think that that um, call to action or that idea is such an important thing that is sort of left out of the way that our. Particularly, like Western culture presents goals to people we have mastery is so on the surface with the way that we view things you know you see you listen to the radio and it's virtuoso as you watch movies and it's people who are incredibly proficient we don't have a ton of opportunity unless you seek it out to go watch people who are mediocre or are just kind of good at a thing developing that skill so I think it creates this idea within people that they need to be better at things at the offset a beginning, than they should be because you have to grow into things. So I I just really love the way that this show reinforces um, the willingness or ability to fail or that it's okay to not be perfect at something when you begin it, because that's what learning is. So I just I, I love I love that in this show. And that book kind of fed into that for me.
1: With everything you said about that book and your takeaways on that, I feel like it fits even more so it fits so perfectly with beer beating, inverting the pyramid. I mean, just maybe a little bit of like kind of the first glance into what kind of person beard is, but inverting the pyramid is not a book for amateurs. Like mm-hmm. that's everything that I understand about that book. It is like the definitive kind of guide to understanding the sport of soccer and all of the you know theories and coaching and plays and everything that comes with it. It's not for amateurs. It's for people who are much deeper experienced in soccer and Beard just kind of throws himself into this depth of knowledge. And obviously we see him reading it later on in the show with lots of post-it notes and things like that uh, coming out of it, but to see Beard just kind of take this blind dive. You know, they mm-hmm. both acknowledge on the airplane that this is crazy, that they're mm-hmm. doing this, that they don't know anything about the sport, but Beard is, is all in and just diving into every aspect of it. And kind of the source of a lot of knowledge uh, to Ted, even we see it right out the gate in the first episode with Beard teaching him some of the different lingo, like into touch and mm-hmm. Ted making the bet with him that he can work into the conversation. Um, I thought the everything you said about the book fits in perfectly with that. And I, I really love seeing that book right at the gate. The other, kind of only the other real references kind of pulling out of this episode kind of uh, goes along with some of the tropiness that I was talking about of just, um, you know, when they come in and they start setting the room up and the music's playing with that. And it's like, they're getting down to business and they're putting up kind of every poster that you would expect to see, you know, <laughs> in it, like as a motivational speaker in a coach's locker room, like a picture of Ali or the picture of miracle uh, the pyramid of success, you know, John Wooden's pyramid of success is, you know, it's a very common thing that you'd see in a lot of places and then to like cap off the just cheesy tropiness, you know, he puts up the believe poster. So, like all of these things together are just they again they don't necessarily sell you on the pilot episode because it's kind of like oh yeah I've seen all of these things before. Like this coach is embracing every single thing from like the coach's you know handbook to inspiring people right. and getting people bought in and showing all this imagery of people winning and and believing in themselves and. Um, a lot of times that stuff falls on deaf ears. But what's great that we learn further on is like, those are all just things that Ted kind of genuinely believes in and, and works into his coaching style in such a natural way that feels very, very done before when you see it for the first time in this episode.
0: It you know, harkens back to the scene of Marge Simpson setting up her office with the hang in there.
1: Exactly. poster of the cat, you know,
0: um, exactly. but uh it, I think that that scene is so important to the episode because I, I think that that there's a couple moments that really speak to what good friends Ted and beard are, and the way that they instinctively both are like these desks are really far apart and they just move them to be face to face and then like are just they just go into like assembly, um is so so sweet to me um, and, the, you know, the scene where Nate has made this beverage and they both try it and Ted's like, That is a great sports drink. And then, you know, beer just kind of like smiles and is like, Yep. And Ted is like, Whoa, you hey, that's a big, you know, like just the way that they read each other and interact with each other is is so is so, so good. Um, well,
1: on that note, on that yeah. sport drink that uh, I really want to talk about our introduction to Nathan. Yeah uh nathan i don't think we know his last name just yet so we just know him as nathan or nate to this point point. and our very first introduction to him is uh you know him running across the pitch yeah. and uh and screaming at ted and beard to get off because he just thinks that they are you know a couple of regular joes who have wandered onto the field and then very quickly as soon as you know nathan i thought it was interesting nathan kind of comes out yelling and screaming And then, like, the moment that he knows who Ted is, he folds, like, instantly. Like, kind of, I said, Higgins was spineless. Nate's very similar to that. Like, almost instantly, like, oh, oh, here's more grass. You know, instead of telling him to get off the grass, he's like, here's lots of grass. We've got extra clippings. You can have all the grass that you want. But he
0: does then say, but really, we need to get off the grass now. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, and then we also see Nathan kind of come to introduce them to Rebecca and like, is so terrified of Rebecca that he runs out of the room before even saying a word. And then we even see him like peek back up the stairs for a second as Ted starts to talk to Rebecca and then instantly goes back down the stairs. Um, and then there's the moments like you just mentioned with the, uh, with the sports drink and Ted kind of throwing some compliments at Nate and how, how how much Nate seems to respond very quickly to just mm-hmm. like a few positive words about something as inconsequential as uh, a sports drink. And I think we learned a lot about Nate pretty quickly and pretty early on. I mean, even in, like he had remembered Nate's name and he was like, wow, you actually remembered my name or even more so right before that Ted asked him his name because no one ever even asked him his name. And he was just kind of stunned that Ted would even ask him his name Uh, What was your first impressions of of Nathan? Like first time you watched it along, did it did it stick out? Was it memorable the first time you saw it?
0: Well, it stands out just like what a sweetheart he is, um, which is what makes his journey through this show so interesting. But yeah, like the what I love is how moved by Ted's support he is. And it speaks to just who Ted is, that even the most seemingly insignificant person is significant within their role in their life, and he has a deep respect for everybody. I I really like that. I, I liked how seriously he takes his position clearly, Nathan. Um, and yeah, I I just think it's a great introduction to a character that grows and it becomes somebody that everyone has a lot of feelings for, especially by the end of the first season and then by the end of the second season as well. So it's a great introduction to him. I I thought the introduction to the players was all really good as well. The to the bar flies. There's the scene where uh, head kind of mentions something about the oh like the sign of the apocalypse when he's doing the interview and I love that one of the soccer hooligan barflies like laughs at the notion of the apocalypse and the other two don't and that's the same member who like later on in the series brings a really existential question up at a random time and they just sort of plant this seed of like oh yeah he's pretty existential or he likes these And he's always just
1: a friendly guy in general. Yeah. Yeah. He's always kind of got a smile on his face like when the other two hooligans are Um, you know yelling and saying mean things to the tv or anybody else he's always just like got a smile on his face and is happy and is jovial and everything that he kind of says it does and his interactions with everybody and we see it exactly right there
0: i thought roy's introduction was really great as well because i forget exactly what the line is but he just genuinely says thanks to ted when ted addresses that he's like seen his games and he's got a great career and he's like, oh, thanks. And he says, yeah, you know, bummer that I was going to, I'm going to end it getting coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. Like, I, it's, it, it speaks to the duality of like, even at beginning, that guy's got a big heart beneath his rough exterior, but he's also got a really rough exterior.
1: I love a the really, line from Ted yeah. right after that, too, where they're like, he thinks he's uh, a Ted and Beard, or if, if he thinks he's mad now, just wait till we win him over. Yeah. And Beard's like, he's going to be furious. Yeah. And, it, and it's um, true.
0: It's
1: true. It's true. I liked.
0: Uh, I liked the Keely bit. Um Jamie's girlfriend, who she is and the role that she plays within the larger social culture of this town and the world um didn't immediately hit me. It t- it took sort of like learning that she's a celebrity in her own right, you know, as you go through season 1. But what I didn't pick up originally, which I do pick up here is that the person that is the nude photo in Jamie's locker is Keely. And I like that Ted, you know, leaned over and taped up her nipples there. And she kind of like didn't know what he was doing. And she was moved to see that he had done that. But I also just I really like right from the get go. Keely is an empowered woman and much like uh, Rebecca. that Like, I think that within Western culture, there's almost just like an idea of if you're a woman who does nudity in things like You know, maybe it's a position of desperation or a thing of need or having been taken advantage of in in some way. But like they kind of speak about Keely as the empowered, independent woman. And she doesn't seem to think of herself as less at all for having done nudity or having that around or like and as two men, we don't really know the really complex nature with which that, you know, it it goes on in, in the heads of people who have done that. But I really I, I liked that she seemed empowered and not bothered by her choices and what she's done with that. And that seems like a through line within her, her run on the show. I would be curious to, you know, oh hear a woman's perspective on that, but I did, you know, to me, you shouldn't have to be ashamed of the things that you've done if you believed in doing them. And, and I really like the way that that fits into her character as a whole.
1: It yeah, clearly she wasn't, she was aware that her picture was up in Jamie's locker and it didn't it didn't really bother her, but you feel like if it had bothered her, it wouldn't be up in, in Jamie's right. locker in the first place. It wasn't a surprise for her to see it up there, but at the same time, exactly to your point, she did seem a bit touched by the idea that Ted went into it with a piece of tape and, and covered it up. And then they right. had a nice moment together with the, you know, putting the, putting the believe poster up and kind of having their first moments together. I think that this, I think that this episode, as I mentioned before, like the pilot kind of accomplishes exactly what it needs to accomplish. And you meet all of these characters: Jamie, Roy, Keely, uh, Sam, Trent Cram, the soccer hooligans, you know, a handful of the other players. You see them all for the first time, and they give you just a little bit of information about who they are. And right at this mm-hmm. point, they really just they're kind of caricatures of, of that. So you get, and you only get a very brief moment because we haven't spent any time with them. But the first time we see Jamie, he's, you know, Roy and Sam are watching uh, the press conference and Jamie's over there just off in his own world with headphones on, working out, looking at himself in the mirror. Right. And we see Isaac for a brief moment. You kind of see all these people have like one quick brief moment, but they're exactly the characters that we know them as, as we go along, even if we only get a second, Roy is telling everybody to quiet down or he's gonna start punching dicks. Um, we see, i say a little bit less of Sam. Yeah. You know, it was almost a surprise for me to see Sam, you know, grow and develop so much and to be one of the main characters on the show, looking back at the pilot where maybe he has less personality, less screen time. You do get a little bit of like, you know, he's obviously kind of bright eyed and maybe like kind of naive. You know he seems happy and cheerful and maybe a bit naive but we don't see a ton of that just a little bit i feel like if you're looking but you know we get all the rough and gruff uh, uh of roy we get the bubbly personality of keely where she's also into social media and talking about twitter um you know jamie's very into himself uh and you know obviously you know trent crim and, and the soccer hooligans are very consistent with those characters so i thought there's a lot of people for the show to show us, and it gave us just enough of them where maybe it doesn't register the first time you see the pilot, but then when you come back and watch it again after you've grown to know and love these characters, you see them all for the first time. Unlike when you go back like the shows that you watch, you know that you talked about earlier was like Office or Parks and Rec or um, community, where you go back to the pilot episode and you're like, these people don't act anything like the characters that they become later. And in this pilot, I feel like everybody largely acts exactly like the person that they are consistently, but then also continue to grow and evolve as people. The only thing that stood out to me, and maybe it's just in my head, but when Roy says he didn't think he would turn out to be coached by Ronald fucking McDonald, Mm -hmm. his accent sounded just a little bit different than it feels like the accent that the show settled on. I don't know if that stood out to you, but it sounded just a little bit different like maybe he was trying to find the exact right accent or maybe before he, he figured out that he wanted his voice to be really growly yeah, all of a, the time.
0: That's a great point. Having seen a couple interviews with him finally, um, between now and the previous episode we've recorded, I could see like, you know, he is doing an accent while he's talking. So I, yeah, that's a great that's a great catch. Um, Will, before we sort of talk about our final thoughts on the episode and scores of big takeaways, what do you say we take a trip Back from the future.
1: Ooh, let's do it. We got to go back.
0: We got to go back, Marty. It's your kids. Um, Who was the president back then? uh I, that's probably a reference from it that i don't remember it's been a minute since i've seen back to the future um ronald reagan ronald, reagan, ronald fucking mcdonald reagan ronald um reagan the actor the uh oh yeah um so before we get into that segment which we don't need to go way too long and retread everything but i do think there's some interesting bits but let's talk to our friend brian garside will you want to pull that up
1: absolutely i do
0: Thanks for writing in, Brian Garside. We love having emails from anybody. And while he's pulling that up, anybody can send us an email to tedlasbros at gmail.com. T E D L A S S B R O S at gmail.com. You can also feel free to record an audio memo on your phone and just send that as an attachment in the email to us. But we really love having people's thoughts uh, as part of this. It's really cool to bounce it between even extra voices. And in the future of the show, we will be having guests on the the shows. So you'll get even more wonderful voices in your ears.
1: All right, so just one more disclaimer, spoilers. Spoilers, Uh, yeah, we're
0: going back from the future.
1: Spoilers here. So Brian Garside writes in uh, following our season two recap episode. Hey guys, love the show. I have to say that Roy and Keeley's relationship to me feels like the beginning of a really healthy relationship between two people who have never had one before. As a dude who just celebrated 20 years of marriage, congratulations. Congrats, Brian. Brian. Uh, I see a lot, of, a lot of the beginning of this, my wife and I, and Roy and Keeley, and I am there for it. So excited to see where this goes. They have all the foundations and respect for one another, great communication and a desire to make it work. So just a little bit of extra context, Jeff, you and I talked last week and trying to figure out where they're going to go with Roy and Keeley's relationship into mm-hmm. season three. And you had kind of postulated that perhaps the show is showing us a bit of a, what it likes for what it is for two people to have a healthy breakup and where the relationship goes. I have sensed, Process that quite a bit more. And I think I agree with Brian. I think that I agree that it's it's maybe built a lot of building blocks to what is ultimately going to be a strong, healthy relationship, as opposed to like, hey, we've got a couple of weird, awkward roadblocks in the way. This means we have to break up and end everything. And I would just say that really thinking about season one and season two, I feel like that the show has given us healthy breakups. Already, You know, we've mm-hmm. seen some unhealthy ones with Rupert and Rebecca, but also we, but we see Jamie and Keeley have a relatively healthy breakup. It's yeah, not it's- toxic. They're able to be around each other and have normal conversation and be largely be adults around each other. Um, Ted's breakup with Michelle, with his wife, was a pretty healthy breakup. You know, it took Ted some time to figure out that that's what needed to happen. But I think that was a pretty healthy one. And yeah. Ted has continued to try to have a healthy mindset around it, you know, all the way up to the end of the finale of season two with him, um, you know, catching himself, trying to pry into Michelle's right. life a little bit. And even Rebecca and Sam has kind of been a healthy breakup or a healthy where they won't they exploration of what the relationship is. So I personally am all in to thinking that Roy and Keely will go the distance and they will continue to work through these things and have a very very strong relationship because of it
0: i want to firmly say i don't have predictions or things that i think will happen i and that is just uh, the thing i love about this show is that it genuinely defies my predictions or expectations for it so what i will say is i can see I could see that happening, or I could see it happening a different way. But again, the strength of this show to me is that I think that it has wholeheartedly blazed its own trail and the directions that it chooses to go with characters, pacing, plot-wise. So I would prefer uh, Roy and Keeley to stay together. I won't be surprised if they don't, but I also, I won't be surprised if they do. Like it's it's th- that I um most things i do make predictions on this show i just i don't like i I, it's it the great thing about it is that um it's a futile exercise for me to predict things for this particular show so i you know my heart fears that they would break up but i i hope that they don't and i I think there's a really good chance that they won't um i think your point is very valid that uh they have done a lot of healthy breakups within this i would say the difference is that we haven't seen like an official breakup of a relationship that we saw form and clearly has been written in a way for us to be invested in. Um, So the Ted one is like he and his wife. We're seeing the fallout of that. Um, The Sam and Rebecca one is, you know, a little like, where they, you know, they were kind of together, but we also didn't get a definitive breakup. I do really like the Jamie and Keely one, but we didn't, again, it wasn't written in a way for us to be invested in that relationship. So Mm. I could see from a writing standpoint, trying to embed that lesson in people. But um, I think it would be better for them to stay together. And I think that there's as strong of a chance or a stronger chance that they will stay together. But the person who has had life get on top of me over and over again, can't help but want to try and, uh make myself okay with that decision if they go that way from the, outgo- the outset um but yeah i i do i think that it's like an incredible relationship and i think it's the best written one and one of the best written ones on television so uh i i think that it's it more useful from a media standpoint to be teaching the lesson of positive relationships uh than any other thing
1: yeah i like the point of just feeling invested in it and we definitely never felt invested in jamie or keely's relationship because we never saw it formed and despite us not liking jamie at all in the first season it would probably potentially change that a little bit if we saw the relationship form and and felt like we were a part of it so yeah uh, i like that hey while we're in the future yeah was there anything else in this episode that really kind of stood out that you feel like is 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 important to everything that we've seen so far
0: Well, I do. As we alluded to earlier, I think the the Ted getting to the precipice of a panic attack is really important foreshadowing to everything that happens in the second season of this television show and later on in the first season. But it was gratifying to see the escalation of that moment. Uh, If you don't know about the panic attacks, it's easy to just be like, whoa, yeah, he's finally feeling the effects of being in over his head. But his susceptibility to those, I think, is really important. And I thought that was well done. The main thing, though, is just the Rebecca and Higgins dynamic, because she is a fundamentally different character in season two than she is in season one. And I think that one of the things that works so well in season one is that she is kind of the antagonist slash bad guy becoming a good guy. And so much about what happens in that first season is sort of a response to her agency as a character. And season two is so different because she's just like, one uh, one of the club, you know, she's one of the good people. And, you know, I I think starting with season two, part of me was a little bit like, "Is everything, you know, like, that's going to be a fundamental emotional shift between these seasons. I hope everything's going to be working still. So it's really interesting to watch Rebecca and Higgins, who we just spent several months being totally, you know, on our team. So th- that was a really interesting thing. It wasn't at all difficult for me. I think she works so well in season one as the character that she is, because you can tell she's got this heart, but you you're kind of chipping away at the, the, the cold exterior. Um, Yeah. What was your she, thinking about she, that? It or really was that let, she
1: really let, she really lets her trauma dictate her behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's very, very driven by just how betrayed she feels by Rupert and by by Higgins as well by proxy. And I had completely missed, I think I'd seen this first episode two or three times. And I still somehow completely missed, you know, looking at the the trophy case of all the old owners and Ted seeing Rupert and being like, oh yeah, I really like this guy. He's got all the women yeah. around him and how that seemed to affect her, you know, even just in that moment. And those drove a lot of her her decisions. So it is interesting to go back and see her playing this antagonist role, but with all of this extra knowledge kind of still adds a little bit of extra sadness. And, you know, you don't want to necessarily excuse it, but you can understand why she was doing what she was doing. But she was just completely blinded by, she is and was completely blinded by, you know, this, this trauma and this betrayal to the point where she doesn't want to trust anybody. So she just is lashing out at everybody and anybody and manipulating everyone. Um, so it is, I agree, it is real interesting to go back and see after you've kind of known to grow and love her, to go back and see her just out out being kind of the villainous um, of the first episode
0: and i think season one does an amazing job of humanizing her progressively throughout the series she's not objectively an antagonist like y- you understand and identify with her motivations and it makes a lot of sense and she's just very very human she's also incredibly likable throughout the entire first season as well
1: yeah and then nathan i think i think i mentioned it already a little bit but we meet nate and. He's he's very much the Nate that we see evolve all the way through season one and season two from the very first time we see him. His hair is jet black.
0: Yeah. His face know, is so young too. Like he, yeah, would, that's the so main young person that looks like is aged.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, how much he 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 ages by the end of season two. It reminds me of like when um Obama was elected into office yeah. and he just looks so young and his hair was all you know dark. And then after like the four years, you see the gray kind of take over, and by the time he's out of office after eight years, he's just like completely gray and looks exhausted. Yep. Uh, we see that. I think we see a lot of that reflected in Nate, but we just see how, how timid he is, how innocent, but you can still pick up a bit of that spiciness um, here and there with who he is, but how much he responds to just the tiniest bit of attention and affection from Ted. Yeah. I think is, it tells a lot. And I think we'll be watching for that through a lot of season one as we watch this through of how Nate, how Ted really builds Nate up from the person he is and how small he kind of feels as an individual um, to who he is by the end of season two. I'm really excited to, to kind of look more at Nate and really watch for all of these things because I think we're going to see a lot of information in season one and then subsequently in season two that make up the, you know, one of the biggest plot points finishing season two, heading into season three.
0: I think that's a great point. It's well said, Will, because, you know, what we learn in season two about Nate and particularly the change in direction of his character. I think it was really well expressed in season two when you finally hear it, but it Ted's role in Nate's shift was a surprise to me when I heard him say it. It was like, oh, that makes sense. But it wasn't a thing that had occurred to me beforehand. And yeah, as we're seeing this, we are really seeing Ted build him up there. And I am interesting, interested to watch it because I think an interesting conversation about the Nate revelation later on in the series is that I try to be somebody that builds people up around me all the time, but I do also sympathize with the idea of like, Ted, you do that, but you also can't build people up all the time and continue to always be building up all of the same people. You have to be able to like help people and then, you know, they can be not sent on their way, but like at some point you can be able to find other people in need. You shouldn't ever. Uh, rescind the kindness or support that you've given someone. But you know, the idea of what do we owe people that we support is an interesting question to me, because as someone who wants to help people, um, there's a lot of people in the world. And at some point, you stop having any time or energy for yourself and the people that you have been supporting because there's always going to be more people who need help.
1: Yeah, something I think I want to on that building on that exact same idea, something I think we got to watch for is uh ted seems to have a quite a bit of a plan when it comes to how is he going to build up everybody on the team Mm -hmm. he seems to have a pretty good idea of how he's going to do that as we'll see in these future episodes that we're going to watch it doesn't seem like he really has a plan to nate for nate it almost Mm kind of seems like everything that happens with nate is kind of coincidental or timing or just nate happens to be there and nate and ted is embrace is warm to him and embraces him and continues to feed him all sorts of positive feedback. So almost in a certain way. Ted is kind of unknowingly being a mentor to Nate.
0: And I, I think that's a great point, Will, because I, I don't think I think it's all like circumstantial or it was a genuinely a surprise to Ted. He's, none of it is manufactured. And I would say that even when he's got plans on how to support people, it's not like a manufactured thing. But I do think on this like particular Nate, I think he's just like I could see Ted genuinely not realizing his agency in supporting Nate because it's just like, whoa, this kid has it all together like he's great at soccer. He's great at supporting these people or great at coaching soccer great at supporting and understanding the game genuinely deserves everything that he's been given. Ted is just sort of like surprised that like how could you not think that I would remember your name, you know
1: yeah absolutely so that's gonna be fun i think nate is gonna be one of the biggest things i'm gonna be paying a lot of attention to as we watch these episodes and having a lot of conversation about that so yeah um everyone should watch closely i think that's gonna be a lot of fun to, to dig into that before we dip out of here ted yeah. uh ted i'm calling you ted uh, that's just how much i'll, take I, it. I'll take I respect it, you jeffrey <laughs> um do you have any uh quotes of the week that really stand out to you
0: i do um My definitive quote of the week was the one that I see you've recorded here. So I'm going to toss a second one out that I really liked that sort of speaks to uh, a theme and a tenant that I really enjoyed in this. And it is uh, when Ted says the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I really like this idea that luck is a thing like luck by its nature is not controllable. However, if you work hard, you increases your chances that things can go well for you. It, 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 and I love this idea of combining, um, you know, luck, which is just a thing that like the universe is going to do its thing. But by working hard, by having passion and having drive, you increase the opportunities that you're giving the universe to then yield positive results for you. So that's just felt like a quintessentially Ted Lasso thing to me.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that just because um, you know, being in the leadership, you know, management role that I've been in all these times, I've always hated it when people say, you know, good luck. Mm-hmm. Like whether we're getting some kind of like corporate inspection or we're getting ready for a, a really busy night or something else is going on, and people say good luck. And that I've never loved that. And I can't remember who said it. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna quote it without attributing to whoever said it. But um, I've heard that luck is when luck is what happens when preparation meets perspiration, when it's just like all of the hard work that you've put into it, uh, everything that you've done comes together um, with all the blood and sweat and tears and everything that you've put into the work. So people, you know, luck stumbles upon some people, but exactly to your point, like the harder where you, you work, the luckier you get. And so just attributing people to being lucky I think is a, is a bit of a misnomer when it right. comes to somebody who works really hard. And on that note, my quote, which was also your quote, was uh, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. I don't know if you've ridden a, ho- ridden a horse before, Jeff, I have. but it is, it, is, uh, it is not a comfortable experience both during and afterwards. Let's
0: just say that I would have to start drinking a lot more water if my anus was going to be able to sit on a horse again because <laughs> um, I'm dried up. Uh, Yeah, and I I think that that quote is great because it embodies kind of what I touched on earlier, but just this idea of being willing to try new experiences and empowering the audience and all people to not just live in the comfortable box that we've created for ourselves of routine and normality, like get outside of your comfort zone and that is okay and it's not going to be comfortable and you're not going to be great at it at first, but to quote alfred why do we pick ourselves up or why do we fall down master wayne to learn to pick ourselves back up and i I think that's a really important metaphor that i'm just glad this show has
1: all right well i as you know i like to dive in deep on mr ted lasso's twitter account well do we uh, want to
0: score this thing before we go on our outer um because okay yeah so let's see are we doing a one to ten what do you think
1: let's do a let's do a let's do a I want to do a one to 10, but it's got to be a Ted Lasso one to 10, right? Because if we say.
0: Yeah, it's like everything is going going nine and a half. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like if eight is great and nine is amazing and 10 is a masterpiece, what like about, everything that we're going to do is eight through 10, basically.
0: What about no decimals?
1: Would no that help? decimals. Should we grade on a scale in comparison? That's impossible. Grade, yeah. <laughs> grade on scale versus the other episodes of the show.
0: Yeah, I, I hesitate. So, like, because I could feel myself. Giving this show this episode a score that on the surface would be like, I what? I thought you liked this show." Um, but like in the in the interest of trying to have some range of numbers, I feel inclined to give this one a seven. But again, I'm trying to think of like, am I ever going to give an episode of this show less than a seven? I don't yeah, know. I was
1: almost inclined to say like at a scale of one to
0: five. I think a one to five is a good one. I think a one to five is maybe a good way to go. A Will. scale
1: of one to five mustaches. Okay. Um,
0: um, I like that. I, um,
1: I mean, if it was a scale of one to five, I think I would give it a three.
0: I think I would give it a three as well. On a one to five, I think I would give it a three.
1: I think it's a really good solid pilot episode when you compare it to pilot episodes of just about any tv show ever made you know outside of maybe like lost pilot (laughs) episode one that was one of the biggest productions you know ever to exist for a tv show ever yep um it's a really really good pilot it does exactly what it needs to do he doesn't have inconsistencies with the rest of the show Um, but it also doesn't fully give you everything that makes the show great right out the gate. It takes several episodes of time investment, which always, as you mentioned earlier, makes it a bit tricky when you're trying to recommend friends or family or anybody else to watch the show. Mm -hmm. If you have to start with the conversation with, you got to give it three or four episodes, you know that the pilot is good but it's not quite great it doesn't do enough to convince you that you have to keep watching the show
0: because buffy i'd tell somebody yeah you can largely skip season one except for these three key episodes you know whereas this different this is everything about this season is critical every episode is critical and it's amazing but yeah i think your point is very well said it uh it doesn't give us what what makes the show fantastic that being said i don't know what shows can do that because for things to resonate there has to be i think some degree of familiarity right um so yeah i'll give this one a three it's fantastic as a pilot but it is still a pilot
1: absolutely now should we t- check in with uh i think our so. friend, ted Lasso on his twitter account
0: yeah do, and men, tell wonder. everybody what that is
1: yeah i do wonder uh if keely helped ted set up his his twitter oh, account. It. absolutely So Ted has a Ted Lasso character. Ted Lasso has a Twitter account, um, and he's just always sharing wonderful little morsels or quips that you might hear him say on the show. um, You know, responding to people, he responds to people's tweets all the time, and it's just it's just a lot of good, wholesome. You know, if you need little bite-sized pieces of Ted Lasso throughout your day or your week, just. I don't have Twitter, but I i sure as heck, I type in Ted Lasso Twitter on my <laughs> Google and it is highlighted there as it has been clicked many, many times when I just need that um, Ted Lasso boost. So I like to go in and mine it for a little bit of gold. And what I have for you this week, it goes way back to around the time when Ted's account was fresh created. And he says, for me, locker rooms are a lot like my mom's bathing suits. I only want to see them in one piece.